0: God bless you. It's awesome to have you here this morning. I always know the first of the month we are a little bit like the Catholics, the the Roman Catholics up and down, up and down. But isn't it good to take communion? And how many know I don't have to feed it to you? How many know you can feed it to yourself? The Bible says he broke the bread and gave it to them, but then they could feed it to themselves. So that's why we do it differently. And if you didn't know that radical young man that was up here, that's Jose Riasco. He's a pastoral intern, SU and Bible College graduate. He did a great job. Let's bless the Lord for him. He baptized his father in the hospital this previous week. His father came out of Islam. Because his father came out of Cuba in rough times, he was brought into uh, some family and friends who were Lebanese. And so that influenced him as a young man, and that's how he became a Muslim. And as he grew up, he just chose to stay in that faith. But as his children got saved via this ministry, God did such a tremendous work in his life. And yes, for him, it was in the hospital, but how many know it's never too late? It's never too late. I mean, if that's where he wants to make his dedication to God, that's where we'll do it. But what's amazing about him is he had actually already given his heart to God before that, so it wasn't just a hospital visit that scared the hell out of him. It was was God already working on his heart, but he wanted to be baptized. But now, being in the hospital, he's like, I don't know if I'm going to get a chance to be baptized. So he made sure to do that. So keep him in your prayers as well. His name is Jose Riasco, I believe the second. Is it the second? The second. Okay. Keep him in your prayers. God knows which one he is though. You can just say, Lord bless Jose. He knows the first, the second, the third. He knows that. I normally don't embarrass visitors, but I have some visitors that drove all the way from Fort Wayne, Indiana. Eric Howard and Santos Howard, would you stand up? Can we bless you guys? Thank you for coming. God bless you for marrying that one. You are a santos. You are a saint. Amen. God bless you. You guys, maybe see to talk to them after service, especially Eric. She doesn't know me. She's too nice, probably, to know me, or probably that Eric that I knew as well. But if you want to know what I was like before I did this or as a Christian, talk to him. This is the real deal, man. This is one of the guys. I don't want to talk about the past too much, but he knows what we did. We were some bad mammajamas in our town. And I was telling him about you, Otto. So you need to talk to him because this is like the Chicago shore right here. God delivered him. You know, you've heard of Jersey Shore. God delivered him out of the Chicago Shore. Fist pumping at the clubs and all that. Do you still fist pump at the clubs? (laughs) Putting them on the spot. But you all talk to each other and get to know Eric if you, don't doubt, if you doubt my testimony. And you may look at us, you may be like, because we have a lot of Latinos, we have a lot of people from different parts of the city, and you guys may look at us like small town, white, suburban kids, like, what did y'all do so bad in your neighborhoods? Well, talk to Eric. We found our way into some bad situations. And as a matter of fact, I always tell the story, two of my friends coming to Chicago actually got kidnapped, and I believe you're one of them, right? Didn't you? Get kidnapped coming here, everybody go, oh, Dito, poor guy got kidnapped coming from the small town of Fort Wayne, but that's what would happen to us, we would think we were big shots in our town, and we would come up here, and y'all would rough us up and mess us up, and then we would have to learn our lesson the hard way, let's turn in our Bibles to First John, First John, today we're going to get into the book of John, the laid down life, it's in 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. If you have the app, you can follow along. Website, we make it easy for you. We're a church that goes verse by verse through the Bible. Primarily, that's our modus operandi. So if you come to this church on any given Sunday, we're normally reading verse by verse. Every now and then we'll take a break, talk what we call topical messages, but normally these are exegetical. We're going right from the text. See in the text if you can get today's sermon title: "Laid Down Life." Somebody say the laid down life. Yeah. Thank you. It's not a lazy life, but it's a laid down life. You'll hear about that in just a moment. First John chapter three verse eleven. The apostle is speaking to his people. Let's pretend we're in that congregation and hear his message. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Don't be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death and anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Let's keep going. Verse 16, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Anybody see the title there? The laid down life. Verse 17. If anyone sees... His brother, or rather, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need and has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, now let's not love just with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. In the last section for today, it says, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we can set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and we do what pleases him. How many want to do what pleases God? Amen. Amen. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us, The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them, and this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Holy Spirit. Did you see the Trinity revealed to us right there? We believe in the Son, Jesus Christ. We keep God the Father's commands, and the Spirit of God lives in us. That's the Trinity in practical living. The Trinity is not just a belief that we have about a God somewhere out there. It's how we interact with the person we call God. Like, what is God? What is He like? He is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How do we know them? We know the Father in the way He initiates things, in the way He commands things. We know the Son because He became like us in the flesh, laid down His life, and then rose again and went to heaven. And we know Him by the Holy Spirit Because the Holy Spirit lives in us and teaches us and guides us and gives us his presence, his fruit, the blessings that come from God. Now let's go to the prior verses starting in verse 11 to make sure that we can capture this message of laying down our lives. John tells us, this is the message you've heard from the beginning, that you should love one another. There is no way around Christianity without loving each other. If we call ourselves Christians and don't love, we're false Christians. That's a hypocrite. That's a fake Christian. But now we run into this problem of what love is. So a lot of people want to define love and tell us what it is. They'll say something like this, my God's so loving, he won't judge me for what I'm doing. He's just a God of grace and forgiveness. But how many know they're right in one way, their God won't do that. Their God won't judge them. You know why? Because their God doesn't exist. Their God is a figment of their make-believe imagination. The real Bible says God loves the whole world and judges the whole world. I can relate to that as a father. I love everybody in my family, and I judge everybody in my family. I do, and I don't judge to be mean, but I judge to set things in order. My wife trusts me as the husband to make good judgments. That doesn't mean I don't love my family. It just means that as I love them, I give them decisions that we're going to live by. My wife loves the children, and she loves me, and she makes judgments all the time. Can I hear an amen from the wives? You better make judgments on your husband's friends, on the social media people he be hanging out with, where he goes. You better make some judgments. So does judgment exclude love? Of course not. Actually, love and judgment go hand in hand. When the Bible says, don't judge lest ye be judged, keep reading. It says, for the standards you judge others by, you yourself will be judged by. Why do you who have a plank in your eye try to point out a speck in your brother's eye, first take the plank out of your eye, then you can help get the speck out of your brother's eye? Somebody say, ah, context. Oh, it makes sense now when you say it like that because Jesus wasn't skipping down the roads of Jerusalem saying, I don't judge and I just love everybody. Do whatever you want. That wasn't at all what he was doing. He was actually judging all kinds of folks and talking about heaven and hell the whole time. But what he was warning against was you and I putting ourselves in the place of judge, getting a gavel, I'm calling court into session and I judge you for this, you for that and you for that. That's what he's saying. Hey, put on the brakes. You don't get to make up laws and become judge now. Because if you start acting like you're in charge, you're the lawgiver, you're handing out stuff, guess what? On judgment day, you're going to be treated that same way without mercy, without grace, based on whatever standard you have been using outside of God's will will be brought on you. And so if somebody said this about you and, and you didn't, that wasn't true, but, but they had the right to judge you now because you were judging them, that kind of judgment's going to be exposed on you. And so that's a mess. That's not the way you want to be judged. I want to be judged, and everyone here should want to be judged, not by people's opinions because those are like armpits and most of the time they stink. We want to be judged by the law of God. Now, I am not a judge, but can I tell you what the law says? I'm not Judge Judy, but can I tell you what the law is? I'm not a police officer, but can I point to a sign and go, that says 50 miles an hour, dude. We're going a lot faster than that right now. I don't want to get pulled over. Come on. I'm not a judge, but can I tell you what the law book says? This is a sin. This is, this is what the Bible says we go to hell over. So you can get upset with me. I'm just the messenger. He's the judge. Where we should get upset with each other and say, you know, pull out the hypocrite card is if they're making up stuff that's not in the Bible saying, well, if women cut their hair, that's not right. Or if dudes wear jeans and not a suit, that's not right. Or, you know, all of these religious things Then we can go, you know, flag on the play, hypocrite. This is not how we judge. We don't judge by men's opinions we judge by the scriptures so let's go back to this what is love love is God as a person and the character of God so the Bible says God is love the Bible also says God is holy okay? So love looks like God. When we look like God, we keep the character of God. That's why Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commands. It's the same thing in my house. Honey, if you love me, you won't cheat on me. How many many believe that? How many think more people need to believe that? If you love that person, you won't cheat on them. We don't say at the beginning of the marriage, you know, when I do marriage ceremonies, I don't say, well, How about he cheats on you 10 times? Will you be cool with that? Or how about if he leaves you whenever he doesn't like you? Will you be cool with that? No, we say things like, to death do us part in sickness and in health. We're making commitments of character based on love. And why do we do that? Because God doesn't quit on us. God is truthful to us. That's why we don't lie, because God's not a liar. We don't steal, because God's not a thief. God is love, and when we live like God, we live in love. So love isn't just some ambiguous thing everybody gets to point out whatever they call it. It's it's not like the LGBTQ community can say, well, this is love, and then I over here say that's a sin, and it's like, well, that's your truth and my truth. No, God decides what is love because the child molester loves the child. Are you listening to me? Not every child molester is a psychopath. See, as part of my studies, I have to study wicked, crazy people, and if you learn about man-boy relationships, if you learn about pedophilia and how it's promoted in cultures, it's promoted as a form of love. I'm just teaching the child about sexuality. I'm letting them explore their bodies. It's sick, isn't it? The same thing is with Nazism. Nazism was love for the Aryan race. Look how much we love the Aryan race. We're gonna send these Jews into, into uh, you know, the death chambers, into gas chambers to die. Love isn't what you decide it is. Because any person could come up with their own definition of love. You know, I, I could say, honey, I love you, but I love three other women too. Now listen, I can't say that statement biblically and it be true, because if I love her, I don't love three other women. Do you understand that? So the definition of love comes from the God who is love, and he sets the standard, this is what love looks like. So guess what? Love looks like correcting people sometimes. Some people are like, well, you know, because we go on the streets and preach the gospel and we'll ask people, you know, get these conversations started with them and we'll say, what's the purpose of life? What's the meaning of life? And sometimes, you know, you'll get like those real kind of hippie like people. They'll be like, love, just love everybody. That's the purpose of life. And then we'll be like, well, what definition of love? The pedophile's definition of love? Nazi's definition of love? The slave owner's definition of love? You know, what definition of love are we talking about? And then they'll just say something like this, the love that's nice to people, the love that's not mean. How many know if you came with me to the store and you saw me telling my daughter no, she couldn't get that candy bar in the line, and she starts crying, how many know you would say that's not being mean? You'd be like, I'm telling her you don't get everything in life. But, but well, watch, what if you didn't hear me say, no, you couldn't get that, but you just walk up on her crying? You might think, oh, man, what's wrong with this father? This daughter's crying. His daughter's crying. He's so mean. No, no, no. You don't know the context. I'm not mean. I'm just a good dad that tells her you don't get everything. You see we look at a lot of people who are butt hurt and you know why they butt hurt cuz they got church hurt. And what happened in their life is they went to a church they heard something like this, they got paddled a little bit by the word, they got disciplined and now they're walking around with their you know with their butt hurt, you know walking around going oh to feel sorry for me. Everybody feel sorry for me that pastor told me I was in sin. Well hold on, let me just help everybody here. We're all in sin without Jesus. Let me just tell you that real quick. We're all sinners, the Bible says, falling short of the glory of God. So, so here's the thing. When God corrects me, that's not being mean. So somebody who says, well, if it's all about love, I think life's all about love, and you won't be mean correcting. No, 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 that's, that's actually love correcting. You see, if you're in a burning building and, and it's like, you know, multiplex, it's love for me to bang on your door and try to get you out. It's not love to just leave you alone. That's actually hatred. Do you all get that? And the world thinks that what we're doing is hatred, but it's actually the opposite. Me affirming you is actually hatred. Just as if we were talking in your breast stank and I didn't affirm that your breast stank. I pretended like everything was okay and affirmed you in that. And then, or, or you know, you're the kind of friend that you have something in your nose or whatever, and they actually tell you. The other ones that didn't tell you aren't your friends. Because the one who said, man, look, I got to pull you aside. Look, man, take this mint, your breasting, or, man, get, get something out your nose because, man, you, you got something hanging out. Those are your real friends. A real parent says you don't get ice cream every night. You don't, you don't get it. So that means love looks like the character of God. And so we all, we all need to love each other that way. So uh, am I nice to you? Yes, by the Bible's definition, I'm nice to you by teaching you the things of God. I'm nice to you when I treat you like the way I wanna be treated. How many here wanna go to hell? Okay, nobody, right? Nobody here wants to go to hell. So why would we want our friends to go to hell? So if I don't wanna go to hell and I believe in a hell, then I try to help you not to go to hell. There's actually a video that's out there by the atheist uh, Penn Gillette, I believe it's his last name from Penn and Teller. He's got the long hair. He used to, but I think he cut it. It's Penn Gillette, right? If not, somebody look it up. Just double check his last name is Gillette because if you want to find this on YouTube, it's pretty insightful. He basically tells a story about after he did his magic show, a Christian came up to him and gave him a Bible, and the Christian obviously knew he was an atheist, obviously knew a lot about his life, and said, I just still want to give this to you. It's important for me to share this with you. And what he said on his YouTube video was that many people, non-Christians, get upset with a man doing what he did. You know, coming up to somebody, giving them a Bible, telling them that they want them to know about Jesus. He said, I feel the exact opposite. Does anybody get to the last name? Is it Gillette? Gillette, thank you. Penn Jillette. So he said, I feel the exact opposite. He said, I actually felt that this guy was more real than all the other Christians that I've met and never told me about it because these guys claim in their Bible, I'm going to hell. This is what he says. He says, in this video, how much do you have to hate a person to not tell them they're going to hell? Mm-hmm. See, that's a way to look at it, isn't it? Why did Penn Jillette get that understanding? Because if a Christian truly believes in a heaven and a hell, then they should tell me about it. So those who are yelling back at us or getting upset for us talking about heaven and hell, they're really not thinking through it, are they? They're really, don't, they're, they're really not understanding our belief system. We're not, and I can't speak for other groups, but I'm talking about for us and, and most Christians that I know, we're not speaking about hell to you know, go, no, 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 you're going there, I'm not, we're better than you. No, what we're really trying to do is love them. Going, we were on that same path, we were headed in that same direction, and out of love, God changed us. And out of love, we want to see him change you. And then, of course, we can fill in the other things of love that we would consider more easy to grasp. You know, helping people in times of need. We'll get to that in just a little bit. Being patient. All of the things of 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. But I wanted to emphasize this right here because when it says we should love one another, that doesn't mean we move on a commune, smoke weed, and then share each other's spouses for the rest of our life. Loving one another can also be tough love. It can be truthful love. And it can also be the kind of love that says, I expect more out of this relationship than what you're giving. Love doesn't just accept whatever you give and go, I'm cool with that. I don't look at my kids and go, yeah, the room's kind of clean. And I love you so much, I'm just going to overlook it. No, because I love them so much, I'm like, you can do better. How many know love says you can do better? Has anybody been married here before? Has anybody had to look at their spouse and say, love can do better than this? I don't know if you've ever found yourself in an argument and you might not have sang it like a gospel preacher, but you probably were saying something like that. We can do better than this. We we can do love better than this because love doesn't just take whatever you throw on the table. Love, love does accept. Listen, love will accept you the way you are, but love will love you too much to keep you that way. Yes, I love everybody here just the way you are, but don't come back here next week the same way. Okay, I'm like your spiritual coach here. Just like if you went to the gym and, you, and you're having a trainer there, the trainer is not just going to say when you come back the next week with the same weight, you know, not being able to do the, the things he asked you to do. He's not going to say, well, I just love you so much. I accept you. Let's just, let's just go on now. No, there's going to be a repercussion, not, not out of hatred, but out of love. Like, look, now we got to work harder. Now we got to do this. You, you need to take this more seriously. See, love, if if they care about you, is going to compel them to see the best come out of you. That's why the Bible says that if you love, you discipline. And, and discipline receives a love also lets you receive discipline. And that's why we have a good church here because you guys like it, right? You guys like the real kind of love of the Bible. Amen. Now look at what it says here. It says, don't be like Cain who murdered his brother and he belonged to the devil. He was a devil's child. Everybody say devil's child. Do you remember the story? The Bible says there's two brothers and they both bring their gifts to God. One is a farmer. The other one is taking care of livestock, okay? So one is working the ground. The other one's taking care of livestock. The Bible says that, that Abel, he's you know, taking care of the animals and all that. He brings his best animals to God, and he says, this is my tithe. This is my offering. That's my, that's my first, and it's my best. But then it says, Cain, a little while longer after the harvest, brings whatever he had to God. You know, he's probably thinking to himself, God's spiritual anyways. God, God can take this apple, the one the worm's been eating. I'm going to toss that on the altar and give that as a gift. And God said, no, Cain, I don't like what you gave. See, God judges what we give. Come on, somebody say he's a judge. So that's between you and him, what's in your wallet and how you give, but God pays attention to that. And so Abel is accepted. His gift is blessed. And God says to Cain, I don't accept this. See, a lot of times we just think we're going to throw something in an offering. God, you better accept it and be happy I gave what I gave. And God's like, I own everything. I'm not happy with that. Your, your attitude is what I'm, what I'm looking at more than a thing, right? And so the Bible says that literally Cain got so jealous, he murders his brother Abel. John brings this up to us to say, Hold on. That's not just about a literal murder that we need to focus on. It also says right here that anyone, look at verse 15. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a what? A murder. And where do you get that from? Jesus. Jesus, remember when he was talking about the Ten Commandments? He said, you've heard it taught to you, don't commit adultery. But I also say, don't lust. Because if you lust, that's like adultery. Then he said, you guys remember I said don't murder, and everybody's like, yeah, man, I don't murder, I don't murder, but he said, hold on, but hatred in your heart is also murder, and so now many of us become guilty of adultery and murder, don't we, for the times we've lusted and for the times that we've been angry without cause. There is such thing as a godly anger, but most of the time when we're angry with others and it turns towards hatred, it's disapproving um, uh, it's, it's making us the judge and we're doing something to them in a way that God has not given us permission to do. That's why it's looked at as murder. We don't have permission to condemn and to send to hell without, without giving people a chance of forgiveness. God says he's the only one that gets to do that after he's even given them chances of forgiveness. Now, once again, this does not mean, and I say this in a church that has had spousal abuse, that has had child abuse, we do not approve of that in Anyway, way what we teach is that you can forgive but you can also move out you can forgive and you can also press charges hello you can forgive while you defend yourself I believe that but what we're not supposed to do get this is let that hatred come in our heart because then it becomes poison to our soul and that's a Christian life how many believe that's a Christian life amen let's go to verse 16 this is where it's going to get personal if it hasn't already he says, This is how now we know what love is. Going back to the definition of love being found in God, he said, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If you see somebody that has a need and you have the ability to meet it, how can you say you love God and not meet that need? He says, We don't just love with our words, we love with our actions. And what I want us to see right here is how this becomes practical to this church. Somebody say, Make it plain. Amen. Thank you. I am by God's grace. I first want to say this. So often when I preach like this, people are like, man, he's talking about me. He's talking about me. I want to make this real plain. I'm talking about everybody. I'm talking about everybody, I'm talking about you, I'm talking about you, I'm talking about our visitors, I'm talking about everybody, I'm talking about my wife, here is what I have noticed, in this church, I'm not talking about the church down the road that's going to beat you to the restaurant, because they only have an hour and a half service, we go two hours here baby, right, and how many know we have OT right here, okay, so I'm not talking about the one, they're going to get there, they're going to be there before you, don't worry about that, you're going to beat the lunch hour when you come here, okay, okay, you get there around two-ish. Everybody would be gone. The, you know, the Presbyterian, Baptist, Methodist—they'll all be gone. Don't worry about it. Be plenty of space for you. But watch this. Watch this. Here it is. This church has a tendency that has a maybe a slight lean towards being overachievers. When you look at most of the people of our church, young adults, most of us going for things in life that take hard work and dedication. Overachieving. When I listen to the stories of people in, in this church, whether they own a business or got a college degree and are working their way up the corporate ladder, I'm always impressed by how just determined the people of this church are to get things done. And when you look at the size of this church, now having pretty much two full services, it's the biggest we've ever been. We started off as a home Bible study. Uh, The finances continually surprise me, and the rest of those who look at the numbers, it's like, wow, you guys have this much ability to to buy a truck in cash or do this. No fundraisers ever here. We support missions. We do so much from this location. It really shocks people, and it's still like an amazement to me. At the same time, not gonna say but, but at the same time, We hear a lot of people saying they're too busy for Jesus. They got too much on their plate. They've got to work this job, go to this class, take their child to this thing. And now volunteering at the life group, doing something before or after the service is inconvenience to them. Can I tell you what I want to do with your plate today? I want to break your plate. I want to have it be laid down and you take up a new plate. Because some of you are having a plate the size of a teacup saucer. You need to get one of those old country buffet plates. And you need to start making some room for Jesus and the things of God. Because how can you see what's going on in the church and do nothing about it when you have the opportunity to do something about it? You see, some of us just read by this and, and just said, well, I'll give to the missions. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this thing that I would give to a garage sale. I'm going to give it away. It's got to be more than that. The principle is if you have material positions, uh, possessions, of course, push them and go all in for Jesus. But just substitute the word material possessions. If anyone has a gift of teaching and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, you see, if you if you're a college educated person, but you're not willing to volunteer with the children or the youth, how dare you do that? You got to give back. Or if you say, "Man, you know, I'm so blessed," and 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 my job has got me doing all this, and then all of a sudden you take your blessings as a, a as a, a manager and all this, and you say you're too busy to go to life group. You've got your blessings backwards. I'm not saying you have to go to everything and do everything uh, everybody is doing, but are you doing all that God called you to do? Because some of you, listen, as overachievers, the way you look at church is where now you just get to sit back and chill, don't do anything, and let everybody else do it for you. And that's not really the heart of an overachiever when it comes to God. You, you just, you listen to me. I know many of you have good intentions and you help out the church a lot, but we have to all look at Jesus and say, here's a blank check, God, fill it in. You don't have to do everything. I don't do everything in a church. I'm not at every Bible study. I'm not at every prayer meeting. But I continually slide across the table to God my life as a blank check, and I say, fill it in. This is what God told me to do in this season, to go to the evangelism truck every Friday and every Monday and two Saturdays out the month. You put that together, that is 10 times I am on a gospel truck, by God's grace, preaching the gospel. How many know I don't have to do that? In other words, if I didn't do that today, my paycheck as a pastor would be the exact same next week. That is outside of my pastoral duties. That is outside of preparing a message. That is outside of counseling. That is outside of writing our materials. That is outside of managing the church and the budget and all of that. God told me, Joe, this is what I want you to do. Now, how many think it's easy for me to roll out 10 times a week when I got a beautiful wife and six kids? Do you think I got pastor pixie dust? Do you think Pastor Pixie Dust just comes on me? By the way, I don't even drink coffee, okay? So I get tired more than most of you guys, but I do stay up like this a lot too. I kind of came caffeinated, all right? I came, came caffeinated. But anyways, you don't think I get tired? You don't think I get tired every Monday night leaving my beautiful family, did all of my work, got all of the things done, And then I've got to come into the city, be on a truck. And it was so cold those last couple of weeks, man. I hope today it gets into the high 50s. But, man, it was freezing out there. Nobody wants to stop and talk. And they're almost treating us like we're selling T-Mobile. No offense to you who do that. But we'll even have those people stand next to us sometime, try to get from our crowd. And I'm like, there is no crowd out here. We ain't getting nobody. It's freezing. Nobody wants to stop and talk to us in 20-degree weather out here, T-Mobile folks. But that's what people think we are, like we're selling them T-Mobile. Talk to us about Jesus. Who wants Jesus? Jesus, Jesus, you want Jesus? No, like we're like auctioneers up there. And I'm thinking to myself, I have a beautiful wife. I have six kids that I can play with and do fun things with. We have all of these activities that we can always do that I love to do with them. And even more so when the weather gets good. I mean, come on, somebody but I get in my car, I go out on the streets, and I start preaching, why? That's a laid down life for Joe. That's a laid down life for Joe. Some of you got a home, and when people ask you to host a life group in that home, you act like you don't have a home no more. Maybe God needs to make you homeless so you'll remember what it's like to have a home. Some of you have a car but won't take nobody to church. Man, you gotta take the bus a few times. I'm going to tell you a real story. I'm going to tell you a real God dealt with me because God tells me what he puts on that check in every season. One season he told me, you're going to travel around the world. And if most of you have been around me and hung out with me, I'm not a traveler. I do not like anything about that lifestyle. I don't sleep on planes. I get jet lagged. I don't like it when people speak other languages around me that I don't understand. I'm a communicator. And I get bored really fast, and I don't like waiting. And traveling is a lot of waiting, waiting in airports, waiting to get taken here, wait, waiting, waiting, waiting. And God said, no, you're going to go to Chilapa, Nayarit, in Mexico. You're going to eat pig intestine. You're going to take a shower that's going to be more cold than you've ever felt in your entire life. And I'm like, that big black thing up there is in the sun every day. How's that thing coming out here so cold? Has anyone ever been to a village and had to have a shower come out of one of those things? I know I'm a privileged white person, but will you just listen to me complain a little bit? (laughs) Then I went to India, had to use bathroom in all kinds of ways that I never imagined. I'll just leave it like that. I got so sick because I eat whatever's put in front of me. I had to puke. I I had to puke so fast, I thought I was going to puke on the table because when it went in, it didn't want to stay in. I've been to Nepal. I thought I was going to get arrested because Christianity was illegal. I mean, all of these things, I jet lagged for weeks. And you know what God said? That's what I want you to do. I just had two babies, you know, when Nancy did, but our family just had them, you know, within a year and a half apart. So I was away from my kids. I was getting sick. I was getting jet lagged. I was feeling like all kinds of just weird ways, being in weird cultures I don't feel comfortable with. And as I laid down my life, God bless me, and those are now some of the most beautiful stories that I have. Going to the villages after being car sick because they don't drive like us, and it's crazy. You think like two lanes means two cars. That's not what it means to them. Like in India and Nepal, it's like 10 cars. It's like, and then they do this, and then their gasoline, and I'll get so sick. But when I got out into the village and I got to see the precious people, I was so humbled at different locations that the Lord gave me something to do. I started washing their feet. And then they would tell me they would say, "We think you American Christians think you 're better than us. we 've never had someone you know come down and, and wash our feet. you 've showed us that we 're all Christians. It was just something God told me to do for them because it looks so odd when you 're an American, even though you don't try to come dressed." up for the occasion, but it's just such a massive difference between our world and their world. And I just felt the Lord say to wash feet. It became beautiful memories. And so really what a lot of you are thinking by holding back, you're doing better for yourself. You're actually not. You're losing the blessing of being a giver in the things of God. My dad was a Christian businessman, and I remember growing up being told I have to go into the room with the kids because my parents had a home Bible study. My dad was a very successful businessman, but he also drove the church bus. These now became stories for me that I look up to, and I go, man, how amazing was that? My dad owned his own business, lived in a nice neighborhood, and on a Sunday morning, you could see him driving down, eating green in a bus, (laughs) picking up people. That's now my testimony of how great my dad was to me. It's not that my dad made a lot of money and helped me live in a suburban neighborhood. It's my dad laid down his life for others. It's for us to have these testimonies. God wants us to participate in what changes the world. When we lay down our lives like Jesus, we get to experience what Jesus experienced. And both sides of it is true. On one side of the coin is people will not like us. They don't crucify people they love. Are you listening? So yes, people hated Jesus. They did all kinds. They they didn't want to be served by Jesus. They did all kinds of wicked things to him. But what's the flip side of that? Jesus became others' heroes. Jesus became the Lord of our lives in this wonderful way. And so we're supposed to lay down our lives like him. We don't become become a hero like him in that great way. We don't become a savior in any way. But you know what we we get to become? We get to become a Christian, a Christ-like person. When people see us giving of our home and they'll start to get it. Maybe not everybody will appreciate you opening up your home. But after a while, they'll start to get it and they'll say, thank you for opening up your home. You know, I look forward to coming into your house every week. Others will start to look at what you're doing and how you're, you're giving them rides or how you're helping them out. You're not just giving them a hand out; you're giving them a hand up. I can think of stories right now when I was in the inner city of New Orleans after I left Fort Wayne and by God's grace went to the the urban area of New Orleans to be trained, a lot of the teenagers didn't appreciate what I was doing in the projects. I worked in nine different projects. But I can look back now on the memories of the ones who did appreciate and the kind of stories that they tell, the ones that I don't even remember They'll say, this impacted my life. I never saw Jesus the same again. You helped me see Jesus in ways I never could. People want to see you lay down your lives for them. And I, as a pastor, don't get to get out of that because I'm just your pastor. That's why every season I'm praying, where should I be? Because where I'm at, I'm setting an example as well. So now I'm doing the evangelism truck. So some of you who have you know, been brought up thinking about pastors who stand on the stage, we walk on air, we, you know, we walk on water, we're so perfect and all that, come out in the evangelism truck and you'll see people curse at me, you'll see people get mad at me, you'll see me get mad at them and almost curse at them, and then I'll have to repent and be like, man, you are getting me so mad right now, you foolish person. I have to go back and repent, but you will see what it looks like to lay down your life. So what are we doing right now with this little saucer cup? Why are we using this as our excuse You know, what is wrong with us? We have forgotten what Jesus did for us. Pray about it over this season. When someone from the life group comes to you like Daryl and says, hey, you know, I'm looking for some people to join me early before the life group to knock on doors. Don't say, excuse me, Daryl, I don't know if you know this, but I'm pretty important on my job. I, I don't knock on doors. No, say thank you, brother, for the honor. Thank you for the honor. Let me look at my schedule. I want to do my best to get there. Is that what you need me to do to go invite people? I want to do that. The same thing is with greeters, you know, people coming in to church, being greeted, all of these things we take for granted. You know, someone asked you, hey, would you like to be a greeter now? Instead of of saying, oh, oh, no, you don't know how busy I am. You know, I have all these kids. I have to get them up in the morning. There's no way I can get here early for that. You know, ask somebody else to do it. No, say thank you. Because the Bible says I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of the wicked. You know if Bill Gates asked you to come to his house, you would be there. You would come early. We're asking you to come to God's house. And then at least you can pray. Because once again, once again, we're not saying we want to burn you all out. But we do want you to burn up for Jesus. There's a difference between burning out... And burning up. As a matter of fact, we have quite a few people that have come from different churches and have said a uniquely distinct thing about Metro Praise is you do not burn people out, you burn them up for Jesus. There was a couple that came right uh, at the first service and they had testified during the, uh, the love wait ceremony, John and Laura, beautiful testimony. They came to us about two years ago. Their pastor had some issues with the elders, the church split And they came to us and I was learning their story. And I asked them, what can we do to serve you? And they said, well, all we've known is helping in the nursery, cleaning the church. That's all we've known. We've never known what it was like for someone to pour into us. Because from a young age, once the children could watch the other children, they started working in the nursery and then they would stay late and all of this. And I said, how about this? You let us know when you see the heart of this church and then you let us know when you want to be like that and serve with us. We'll serve you until you're convinced that we're not here to take anything from you. A few years ago, or about a year ago, they came to me, and this is what they said. They said, we see the heart of this church. We see that the people who serve aren't doing it because they have to. They want to serve, and now we want to start serving. We then gave an opportunity a while back for people to start life groups in their homes But Laura got a little bit nervous because of all that was going on in her life, very similar to what we're talking about. But my wife and I challenged all of our leaders and said, go back and pray because we're about ready to start growing and expanding. Long story short, when we met with John and Laura, Laura said this. She goes, I know God is speaking to me. I'm ready to step out in faith and go hard for Jesus now. John said, I have prepared a PowerPoint about how I want to start a life group. We then looked at them and said, hey, we aren't even ready to do that. We were just calling to see how you were doing. You see what God did in their hearts? He brought them here to heal them from past trauma of only working for Jesus and not working with Jesus because there is a difference. I'm not just working for Jesus, I'm working with Jesus. And when the time was ready, instead of us trying to pull it out of them and force them to do it, they came so passionate that we actually had to say, "Eh, put on the brakes. We're not even ready to launch you guys out yet. What's the difference? The difference is when you see a need, you meet it. Now, let me just ask you this question. Can you meet every need? No, but can you meet one need? Can you meet two? How far can you go in this? And what's gonna happen when you start meeting needs? God's gonna start blessing you with more to be a blessing. He's gonna start providing for you. So instead of thinking of ministry and serving and giving as a burden, look at it as love in action. Because how many know we love our family in action? We don't just love with words. How many know we love others in action? We don't just love with words. And we do the same thing here. Let me just give this example before we get to that last, last section. When you and I start to hear people's testimonies, the sacrifice we made is incomparable. It's incomparable. When I started to hear testimonies from the inner city, the sacrifices that I made. Let, let's, just, let's just go over one. Joe, Joe Miles, Joe from the Calio. I met him in the Calio projects where Master P was from, which, by the way, I think Master P and Romi are going to start making Christian movies because I believe they became Christians as well. There's a lot going on. Justin Bieber, Kanye, Kanye rather. A lot of people are becoming Christians in, that, in the industry. So keep an eye on Master P. Wouldn't that be amazing if that dude gets saved? I mean, that's my generation there. But watch this. Joe from the Calio. Is now an awesome husband, father, I think, of three. He went to the military, did amazing things, but I knew him as a young child of a single family home in the Calio projects. You know what changed Joe's life? This is what this is what 21-year-old Joe did at that time that changed his life. You want to know the great thing that I did? Picked him up and hung out with him. Wow, what a great sacrifice I made. Wow, such a big thing. But what? Come on, let's be honest. What were you doing? What were you doing, Otto? Come on. At that same time, 1996, probably weren't taking inner city kids out, right? Probably hanging out with them for a different reason. But there I was, 21 years old, hanging out with Joe from the Cali. Picked him up in my car, treated him out somewhere with the little bit of money that I had from what I was doing, and then dropped him back off at home. And when it came time for him to get married, this will make me cry in front of all of you. You know what he said to me, Joe? I don't want you to preach the wedding. I want you to be my best man. (laughs) Praise God. Oh, that touches my heart. He said, I want you to be my best man. So I went to the military base, got to be a part of his life. And still to this day, I think back on those stories. Where do you think? Come on, let's just be honest now. How much of a sacrifice is it really to get here a half hour early? Shake somebody's hand. Welcome them into the church. Learn how to do a computer thing back there. Uh, Help your life group leader out like Daryl or Rudy or some of the others I see. I mean, what is that really going to cost you? Is it it this huge transforming thing? They're asking so much of me. No. In the perspective of life, it's going to cost you so little. But what's going to happen? Somebody's going to walk through that door on a bad day, see your smile, and go, you made the difference to whether or not I stayed in that church that day. I was about ready to turn right back around, but you know what? You shook my hand. I, we hear that all the time. Am I not telling the truth, Because Somebody saw me at the bus stop, just invited me. Come on in, man. Yeah, check us out. Come on in. What do you think it's going to be like when somebody says, man, I came to your house every Friday, and one day you know, I was so down, you prayed for me. What do you think it's going to be? And compares. It's incomparable. The Bible says in these closing verses, it says, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we can set our hearts at rest in his presence. You see, that's how you're supposed to convince yourself when you doubt what's going on around you. Because a lot of times we have problems and we doubt God and we doubt what's happening. In, you know, We doubt God because of what's happening in the world. But John says, this is how you don't, you don't have to doubt anymore. If you see God using you to touch others' lives you could take a rest in his presence and go, God, you got this under control. You know my heart. You know, come on, God. I, God, I don't know what's going on at my job. I don't know what's going on with this family member that's sick. I don't necessarily feel you in this situation. But, Lord, I take a deep breath, and I remember how you've used me to help others. I know that you're in my life. You're going to help me. You're going to send others to help me. My heart's at rest because I've loved others, and I know you're real. Like, just think about that. I know God's real by the way I've loved others. I mean, that's literally what it says. Your heart will not condemn you. How, do, how does Joe Y. Rostick know that what happened at my mother's kitchen table in 1995 was real is Joe showed up to a project to meet Joe Miles. That's how I knew something real was happening in me. So a lot of you, let's, let's, get, the, let's get it right now. If a lot of you are doubting God it's probably because you're more inward than you are outward. You're probably so consumed with your own issues, your own questions, your own problems that you haven't learned to go to the nursery and help out. You haven't gone to a youth group night and started helping out with the teenagers. You haven't volunteered on the Wednesday with the king's kids because if you were doing that, you would see God is everywhere. God is moving and God is present in your life even though that situation may not be changing. So he says... Even if your hearts condemn you, God is greater than your heart. And he says, when you have a heart that's free from condemnation, you can ask whatever you want, and you will receive it. See, when I lay down my life, I give God my blank check. He gives me a blank check back. Did you catch that? I'm not making it up. What does it say in verse 22? And receive from him anything we ask. Why is that? Because, what, what, because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. So here, here's something everybody has to get. You'll have 100% of your prayers answered when they're 100% in his will. So all the prayers that I've ever prayed according to God's will have always been answered. The ones about the beach house, The ones about warmer weather in Chicago, the ones about certain people coming and leaving the church, whatever. No, those don't get answered. But what always gets answered according to his will? according to his will, according to his will. And so here's, here's another thing. If we see our prayers are not getting answered, if we see doubts are in our hearts, it's chances are we are inwardly focused, not serving others and not praying the will of God. Because God says, when you start serving others and you start praying what I'm praying, that gets answered every single time. And you will keep my commands and you'll know that I'm living in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're ready to live that laid down life, can we stand up and give it up for Jesus? Come on, let's stand up as the band and altar workers come. Somebody say he was talking to everybody. Amen. So I don't want anybody after service to be like, oh, he was talking about me because someone just asked me to volunteer here and I said, no, I couldn't do it. No, there's like a hundred of you that say that all the time. I'm talking to everybody. And by the way, I say that to God too. God said to me one time to bring my daughter out evangelizing. And I said, God, no, I'll bring out other people's kids, but I'm not bringing out my kid. <laughs> and God's like, no, you're going to bring her out. And I thought to myself, I'm going to bring her out, and it's, you know, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be wild. And some of you are like, you brought her out and nothing happened. No, the day I brought her out was the one of the most violent guys got in my face, started knocking down our microphone stand. But here was the thing. I walked away from that going, wow, if that was the worst the devil can do. I felt total peace during that time. My daughter totally understood what was happening. Drunk sinner acting dumb. She just got her first lesson of why she doesn't want to be like Snooky on the Jersey Shore. That's why you don't drink, daughter, because you look like that. How did that dude look? Well, he looked dumb and stupid, and he probably would have been arrested if police were around. So face your worst fears about serving. Well, if I let people into my house, they might take stuff. Hey, I felt that too. I still hide my stuff when you guys come over. <laughs> I do. You can take the boy out the hood, but you can't take the hood out the boy. I hide all my stuff, but I still let you in. I still let you in. Come on. You know that's real. He probably hides his stuff. You got a little safety locking it up. Make yourself at home. And then he locks up stuff over here, but don't come in that room. Yeah, face your worst fears. Oh, I don't know, man. I might be tired all the time. You're already tired. Come on. What are you going to lose? We, we, we make serving God, laying down our lives for others, way more complicated than what it really is. Like I said, it's just doing what you know meets somebody's need. Here's the way John Wesley said it. Do all the good you can to as many people as you can for as long as you can. Okay? and then God will tell you when to pull back. God will tell you when, and, and when you, you're around others, they'll trust you. We trust you guys. That's why we don't get mad. We'll just be like, okay, well, we'll ask somebody else, and how many know somebody else is eventually gonna do it, but if you knew you were supposed to do it, then God's gonna deal with you here, and it's gonna be a journey that you're gonna be on to learn not to be selfish, and we've all been there, but I'm trying to save us some of those steps. Lay down the life now. Give God your blank check and see what he does for you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. I uh, am so humbled, Lord, that each week we have a wonderful group of people that come and serve and put this service together, the worship band. the